Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Deborah Confredo, a 44-year veteran music educator, is professor of music education at Temple University and president-elect of the National Association for Music Education. As chair of the NAFME Music Teacher Profession Initiative, she is lead author and editor for the NAFME publication, Blueprint for Strengthening the Music Teacher Profession. Although a professor for Temple University, Dr. Confredo resides in Louisiana, where she's an active member of the Louisiana Music Educators Association. During the summer, Confredo heads the Chamber Ensemble Program and is symphonic band coordinator and conductor for the New England Adult Music Camp in Sydney, Maine. She is author of numerous instrumental method texts, as well as a multitude of journal articles. Tau Beta Sigma, the Illinois Music Educators Association, and the Pennsylvania Music Educators Association have honored her for her distinguished service. Mansfield University has recognized her as a distinguished alumnus. She is recipient of the Pennsylvania State University College of Arts and Architecture Distinguished Alumni Award, the Florida State University Faculty Citation for Graduate Alumni Award, and the Temple University Outstanding Faculty Service Award. She is in demand as a conductor, clinician, adjudicator, speaker, and lecturer, and I am thrilled to have her on the podcast this week. So last week we had the current president of NAFME, Scott Sheehan, on, and I thought it would be a really cool idea for this week uh, or for this episode to have the president-elect, Dr. Deb Confredo. I met uh, um, Deb last uh, couple last month uh, in Germany, of all places. I hadn't met her until then, and we got along famously. And I immediately said, oh, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And Deb, thank you so much for agreeing and, and being a guest. I really appreciate it. Oh, Jim, it's my pleasure. And yeah, how about that? We had to go all the way to Germany to meet. And uh, I, I think I think you felt the same way. As soon as we met, it was like we'd known each other for a long time. So this is this is great. I appreciate your asking me to do this with you. My absolute pleasure. And yes, it, it you know, when when two like minded individuals get together whose heart is in the right place, it's just an instant kind of friendship. So thank you so much. Sure. Um, I would love for you because I, I start off every podcast the same way, and that is to ask my guests to trace their career, like how you you can go all the way back as far as you'd like. But, um, you know, how you got interested in music, how you got interested in music education, and then like fast forward uh, to where you are today. So if you do that in like the five to 10 minute thumbnail sketch, <laughs> great. I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version. Perfect. I Perfect. will go back to when I was a kid. I, I uh, you know, my, my father, uh, for most of his life, was a, a, a lineman for the Philadelphia Electric Company. So he was a blue collar worker. We didn't have a whole lot of money, big family. And um, when I was five, uh, dad was able to procure I, through whatever channels a, an upright, an old upright piano that had resided in some bar somewhere that some of the keys were missing and whatever. Anyway, that's, that's kind of where I started to learn how to play piano was on that beat up old, old piano. Um, we eventually got a, a little bit better one, which was good, but I started out on keyboard. And then in junior high school, some girlfriends and I were going to go to a high school football game. So, you know, Thursday night, we're chopping up confetti. And then we go to the game on Friday night and, the game was great and it was great to be with my girlfriends. And then the marching band came on and I was like, oh, my God, what is this? I'd never seen one live. And it was just so cool. And the next Monday I went to the band director and I started bugging him. Can I be in band? Can I be in band? He said, what do you play? And I said, play piano. He said, we can't play piano. And so anyway, long story short, kept bugging him. He called my mother and he said, look, she's really just, you know, being persistent here can she join the band? And mom says, well, we don't have any money. And he says, that's okay. I'll take care of it. So he, in the, in somewhere in the, the annals of, of the old junior high school, he found some uh, really ugly old, nasty old bass clarinet 
Uh, and he cleaned, <laughs> cleaned, yeah, he cleaned up a little bit. And he says, here, this is yours. And I ended up playing bass clarinet. It was my first band instrument, but it was fun. And I took to it really, really quickly. Um, got into high school and my brother at this point, my, my brother's one of my three brothers is watching me and he decides he wants to play saxophone. So in the evening, I would when he went to bed, I went to the basement, I played the sax and I learned how to play saxophone on my own, um, was tooling around in the instrument room at the high school and started to play the mellophone. And my band director came out and says, who's playing that? And I thought I was going to be in trouble. And he said, uh, do that again. And I said, OK, I played it. And he said, well, why are you playing saxophone in marching band? You're going to play that. So I ended up playing brass in marching band. Anyway, long story short, that it, it, it was just this, this, this really great interest and it was fun. And at that point, I decided I wanted to go ahead and, and be a, a music educator. Uh, but I hadn't taken lessons on anything but piano. So I went to school as a piano major first and then switched over to saxophone while I was there and um, did my, you know, wait, wove, wove my way through the uh, degree program. And where, uh, and where did you go? For your undergrad? My, my undergrad was at Mansfield. It was at the time it was Mansfield State College in Pennsylvania. Now it's Mansfield University. Mm -hmm. uh, small school in upstate Pennsylvania, but the music department was enormous. So it was a great place for me to be. Um, and I ended up uh, my first couple of first three years of teaching, teaching in the southern tier of New York. I taught for a while in Corning and then moved up to Bath. And uh, would have stayed there. It was the, my job at Bath was uh, at Haverling Central School. It was great. I love being there. I love the people. Uh, the school budget was was coming due, and I knew that they were going to cut a lot of uh, uh, faculty, including me. So I ended up going back down to Pennsylvania as a high school band director in Harrisburg. Oh, wow. I loved that. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was a great place to go. And Penn, Penn State was very close by. So at that point. The clock started ticking on my provisional certification, so I started taking some classes at Penn State. Got interested in research there, and one of my um, one of my faculty members said on one of my papers, "You know, let's talk about this because I think you could do this for a living." And I had never considered that, so oh. we started talking about it, and I got more interested in it. Continued playing. I was a double major at Penn State, a performance and education major, so I was playing sax a lot while I was there. Ended up going down to Florida State after my degree was done at, at Penn State. I finished the education degree. I had like a couple more recitals to do in the performance degree, but I knew I didn't want to be a performer the rest of my life. I, I wanted to, to teach. So I went down to FSU uh, where there was a lot of research going on. In fact, you know, we, we talked a little bit about uh, previously about technology, and that's where I started to get into technology a little bit was at, at FSU. Got my doctorate. Uh, ended up at uh, Illinois State University for a while, then moved over to the University of Illinois, and then finally back home to Philadelphia, uh, to Temple University. That's where my family's from, just in the Philadelphia region, and uh, it was a it was a really good move. So that's sort of it in a nutshell right there. So did you know Jack Taylor when you were at Florida State? Yes. In fact, I talked about Jack. I had a graduate class last night and was talking about Jack to my graduate students. I took... Um, a course in perception and cognition from Jack. It was one of my very first classes at FSU. He was actually the one who taught me how to read and interpret research through his class. Yes, Jack was uh, uh, very instrumental in my work down there. Yeah, of course we, of course we have that in common. You know, we never talked about that, but I did a conference years ago. It was a, an organization called Nismet which was yeah. the National Symposium for Music Instruction and Technology. Sam Reese, Kim Walls, mm -hmm. some really great, and Jack Taylor was one of the people there. And I presented my doctoral research like the very first time. And Jack came up to me right after and was like, you know, you're very talented. I, I love what you're doing. You should continue, you know, and it, it, I, knowing him and knowing yeah. his work, I was, it was like all I needed, you know, yeah. you're Every once in a while, I'm sure you know what I'm saying. Yep. You need a little bit of a of a of a of a validation from somebody that you really admire that you're doing the right thing. And and he sure. he he'll never know that how much that meant to me. I never got yeah. to, you know tell him that. Yep. Um, but man, was that a huge moment for me. I totally understand that. And and sometimes those things come in very small ways. Hey, you've got a talent for this. It's sort of like you know what happened to me at Penn State. Yep. And 
and it sort of makes something click. Jack Jack was just a, a sweetheart of a person. Um, I learned a lot from him. And the other thing I loved about him was he was a square dancer. Him and his, he and oh, his wow. wife did square dancing. And I thought that was just sort of a really cool juxtaposition between all the tech work that he did yep. and the research. And then he then he then he square danced. I just thought that was wonderful. Yeah, he was uh, he was a good man. Very very um, an important figure yep. in music education. Yeah, absolutely. And so what is your research interests? I mean, you've been at Temple for for quite a while. And whenever I whenever I'm doing any type of lit review or research or anything, your name is always there in the in the. Uh, so what, what are what are your favorite topics uh, of research? That's a hard question to answer, um, Jim, because, the, you know, this is sort of a blessing and a curse at the same time. I love a lot of stuff. I, I mean, I, and, and in fact, when I talk to people about my own research, um, I, I do it a little disparagingly because I feel like I'm buckshot. I'm sort of like, you know, you, you shoot the gun and it's all all right. over the map. Uh, I do a little here, a little there. The, uh, and, and there are other people who I admire deeply who focus on one or two ideas and go very, very deeply into it. And that just has not been my path right. uh, since I've been doing research. But, you know, I, I've, I've focused on issues of, of um, development of, of Conducting practices, instrumental techniques, um, perception, cognition, uh, tempo perception in particular. Um, uh, working on uh, right now, working on some things having to do with um, the differences between uh, that experience brings us when we're listening to an ensemble, and what and what are the evaluative comments that we would give that up to that ensemble. Say, for example, in an adjudication setting, uh, are there differences between relatively young and novice instructors and those who have been around the block for a while. Um, so like I said, it's it's just sort of all over the map. When I started at FSU, uh, well, let me go back to Penn State. At Penn State, I was really interested in uh, what I was just learning about, um, about Ed Gordon and the idea that uh, we have this capacity for hearing things in our head that are not physically present, right? He, right. he called yep. it audiation. Yep. Psychologists... Uh, they 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 have a different nomenclature for it, but it's sort of the same thing. And those ideas really do come from directly from psychology because it has every, everything to do with what we take in, what we leave in short term memory, what goes into long term memory, what it what we attach it to, whether or not we can retrieve it later on. Um, and that speaks really highly of how we work in music, uh, developing a vocabulary that we can bring back later on, especially if you're improvising or you're trying to create things on the spot. So that was my work at, at uh, Penn State. I had just been introduced to it, so I was very curious about that. When I went down to FSU, of course, you, try, you follow your mentors, right? And yep. my, one of my mentors there was Dr. Cliff Madsen. And oh, Dr. Yeah. Madsen, yeah, it, it, Cliff's a, just, just a very, very, he's a very important figure in my life. Huge. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Anybody, any music ed graduate student knows that name yeah. instantly because he is another one of these folks like you who is literally in every single lit review you know it's fantastic oh that's awesome that's yeah yeah he he I was, was my have. major professor that professor there and um the first thing he got me involved with and with the first two things and this this goes to our our discussion about technology the first two things he had me working with uh were the one population um there was a school in, I mean, I'm back up, I'll back up. In Tallahassee, there was a school that was focused specifically for students with special needs. And he had me as a graduate teaching assistant go to that school. And at the time, we, we they were just developing uh, the technology that they called the uh, continuous response digital interface. And um, to, to give you a quick idea about what that is, you probably know, uh, yep. but maybe the listeners don't know. Um, Today, so if you're watching, say, for example, a, a presidential debate and um, you see the scroll at the bottom of, you know, lines going up and down and maybe it's split men and women and how we're responding in time to what the candidates are saying. Well, that's that's DRDI technology. That, and, this, and we're talking about, you know, 1988. So it was wow. very, very early. So we took the CRDI to the school and we were trying to determine whether or not the box, and at the time it was a box, it turned into a dial, but the box had a little lever on it. We were trying to determine whether or not kids with special needs could manipulate that lever to demonstrate whether or not they liked music. So there was an overlay on it with five oh, cool. faces. Yeah, it was really cool from happy face to 
the angry face or sad face and they could manipulate it. So that was one of the first, my first introductions to uh, how technology can be very useful in research. And then the second one um, used the similar technology, but this time with a dial, it was the same CRDI that took data. Um, I think it was like one data point every, I'm going to forget every two seconds, maybe. Oh. And um or, no, I take it back. Three data points per second. That's that's what wow. it was taking in. And we had um, we had our participants listening to music at the time. Our first, <laughs> this was the very first study in CRDI technology. We had them listen to the final 20 minutes of the first act of La Boheme. And so people were listening to it and they were manipulating the dial to demonstrate to us whether or not, or the degree to which they were having what they thought was an aesthetic experience. And we didn't, um, we didn't describe it for them. We just gave them that instruction. And we did it with mu music majors, we did it with non-music majors, and then we overlapped the, um, the graphs that came out of it. And the, it was just fascinating to me how the graphs had the same contour. Um, music majors had a little bit more um, uh, uh, magnitude. So the right. lows were a little lower, the highs were a little higher, and the non-music majors followed the same contour, but not quite as as uh, widespread. But um, so anyway, that's that's sort of the, the first couple of, of uh, research projects that I got involved with at FSU that focused um, on technology as a means towards understanding human behavior when yep. we're responding to music. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. It's fascinating. Um... For those of you uh, that don't know Deb's work, um, you know, you can, uh, I'll put links uh, to Deb's website. Um, all you do, all you need to do though, is put her name in a Google uh, search and research and you'll find, you'll find plenty. So let's, let's. Hey Jim, uh, can I interrupt you for a second? Absolutely. Uh, I've gone through a name change. So a lot of my previous work was under the name Sheldon. So yep. either Sheldon or Confredo. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, switch um, to uh, your upcoming role at NAFME. Sure. And like many, uh, you know, type A personalities that that have a <laughs> ton of stuff that they're doing and they say, yeah, I'll take on more. Um, so, you know, your your uh, your uh, tenure starts in June or July, which officially July one. But right. we have our uh, National Assembly in June. And that's really when I'll be I'll be uh, that that's when. Scott will be handing the baton. Yep. There you yeah. go. So how did you get involved with leadership at NAFME? Uh, you know, I've, I've been a lifelong member, uh, you know, and uh, the organization has gone through quite a few changes over the yes. last couple of decades. Um, I'd just love to know your role and and, uh, and and how you got involved. Let me, if I could give you just a little bit of a, a little history, and I promise I'll make it really short. Sure. So I've been a member since 1976. So <laughs> do the math, right? Yep. Uh, when I was a student member, when I was a freshman in college, and um, I was living in Pennsylvania at the time, and um, I remember coming home for spring break that freshman year of college, and I got a phone call from our uh, my my junior high choir director, who was a friend of the family, and she knew I was home on break, and so she called and she said, "Hey, are you going to PMEA?" Which was in Philly that year. And I didn't know what that was. All I knew was when I was in high school, we would go to regional or state band. They had those, those PMEA banners yeah. that they yeah. flew. That's all I knew. So she said, look, look, I'll pick you up tomorrow. Get dressed up. I'll pick you up. I'll, I'll, I'll pay for your uh, conference fee. Uh, you need to go to this. So, um, and we did, and I had such a great time and she was a choir person. I was sort of a band person, although I did choir and orchestra too. And she said, look, we're going to go to everything, not just the band stuff. And we did, we went to everything. And it was my first introduction to what uh, the state MEAs and the national organization offered. Yep. to their members. It was just really eye-opening. So that was back in the, in the 70s. And so fast forward to to where I am now. And um, I, I, it was in the middle of the pandemic. And, uh, we, you know, the country was in a rough way. The, heck, mm -hmm. the, the globe was in a rough way. Um, I, I had just come off of a, a six-year commitment to uh, NAFME's uh, Society for Research and Music Education. I was the chair of uh, the executive committee. So I had leadership focus in that. And then the pandemic hit and our conference, which I was in charge of at that time, uh, you know, like everybody took a hit as well. NAFME had some uh, some issues with uh, being 
under contract with some of these hotels. And that, oh, yeah, I remember uh, yeah, that. <laughs> it a, yeah, it was a financial issue, right? And so, um, and then, you know, George Floyd was murdered. And so there's yeah. social unrest and all that. And I, and literally, I, I, uh, I got up in the middle of the night and I thought to myself, almost out loud, although my husband was sleeping, so I didn't say it quite out loud. I said, you know, I, I need to throw my hat in the ring. Yep. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a 44 year teacher, so I'm closing in on retirement here. And, um, and I thought, well, you know, I'll do it. And if it, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, that's okay too. But I just felt compelled that I'm not done yet, that there are yep. some things that I might be able to offer. And so I tossed my hat in the ring and, um, and here I am. And, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and truly there were, there were several really, really fine candidates who I can, who I consider all of them, my good colleagues and friends. So there's lots of good people out there who have that same idea of how can we help? So for me, and I know for most of the leadership in NAFME and also at the state MEAs, you know, none of us get paid. We do this because it's a labor of love. It's, yep. it calls, comes under that rubric of servant leadership. And, um, Again, I, I just felt compelled that before my career ended, uh, I, I wanted to see what else I could do to help our profession. And uh, and that, let me go back one more, uh, a couple more years before that. I was also involved in the Music Teacher Profession Initiative, uh, which came out of Maggie Spradley's uh, presidency. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, we did a we did a, a very large study on how we can improve um getting into the profession for all people we we tend to be very white and yep. very female and we really don't reflect a lot of the communities in which we teach and so we need to do better at that so the mtpi did a lot of good work on that we ended up coming up with a uh, a white paper called strengthening the music teacher profession um it's we call it the blueprint we lovingly call it the blueprint yep. and that now is the foundation for the new committee which is the Music Teacher Profession Advisory Committee, um, and my two good colleagues um, who worked on on the, uh, the MTPI with me, um, Cecil Adderley and Carlos Abril, are now co-chairs um, of that new committee. And their job, along with about 18 other people, will be to take on the proposals that are in the blueprint so that we can actualize it, put implementation into, into progress here. So um, that was before I, I took over as president and uh, or president elect. And now that now that I'll be coming to the president, I'll be having uh, oversight over that committee, uh, which I know is just going to do just wonderful things. Oh, that's awesome. And I, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Adderley Cecil is going to be an, a guest upcoming on my I, I absolutely love him. He's great. Uh, that's great. Yeah. And uh, I, I'll have to get to Carlos next, though. Um, you know, one of the things I asked Scott, and I'd love to ask you is, you know, a lot of music teachers, um, and I think we talked about this in Germany, a lot of music teachers have this feeling of, uh, I don't know, not despair is too strong of a word, uh, but this kind of, they don't make a difference or they can't do it. Or, you know, a little bit of imposter syndrome along mm -hmm. with the Stockholm syndrome that comes from being a music teacher in public yeah. schools. Yeah. But I I think a lot, I think almost every music teacher has it in them for leadership. Um, and I'd just like to know your just, you know, how did your experience as a music educator um, you know, get you ready for because I'm so excited about uh your presidency. Like, how do you how do you think it helped you being a music teacher for, yeah. for leadership? That's a great question, Jim. And I, I appreciate your your kind words. I really do. Um so let, I'm going to go back to there's there's a uh, this is a, just a short story about when I was teaching in New York. This was gosh my second year teaching, so I was a very young teacher. Um, I had a there was a young girl in my uh, I, I taught um, seven through twelve. It was a mm -hmm. it was a central school in my high school band. Um, her name was Diane, and Diane had some special needs, and she was just a sweetheart of a person somewhat understood by her by her friends in school and she played clarinet and um if it weren't for her clarinet I, I, my suspicion is that she may not have um stayed in school now that's just a an assumption i can't obviously she stayed in school and she did well but i think clarinet had a lot to do with that and i i remember having um lessons with her in you know, one on one clarinet lessons and you know she was she had trouble socially. She had trouble academically. 
Um, she wasn't the best clarinet player, but boy, there was all of this um, passion and mm-hmm. desire to to do well. And um, I, I I I retain Diane with me today, and that's been you know we're going back to 1981 right. here, so it's been a long, long time. Um, what does this mean to the question you asked? Well, from my perspective, and I talk about this with with new and novice teachers, also with high school students, but also with collegiate. Um, the fact is that, and, and you alluded to it, if you make a difference in one person's life, you have fulfilled the promise of your degree. Mm-hmm. You have fulfilled the promise of your license. And and fortunately for all of us who are teachers, we get to do that with lots and lots and lots of people. Yep. Um, when I talk about this with, especially undergraduates, I'll remind them, and in so doing, also remind myself, that all of our students are somebody's babies. Yep. Not just our clarinet players or our violin players, but they're somebody's daughter, somebody's son, somebody's grandbaby who is very, very special. And if we if we if we can make somewhat of a difference in one person's life, then that gives us that should give us that feeling of, you know, I, I have done what I came here to do. Now, what does that have to do with leadership? Well, I, and and you're right. That imposter phenomenon, I think we there, there are more people that experience that than I would like for, mm. for, for, for to happen. Um, you know, and part of that, I think, has to do with just what we do. Right. We're in the music business. So there's always this, you know, there's no stealing. It's we can always get better. We can always get better. We can always, you know, yep. if I spend a few more minutes in the practice room. Yep. And so we all sort of have that at our core. Um, fact is that we as leaders, we, de- we develop that. We develop it on the podium. We develop it in one-on-one with students. We develop it when we are working with, with parents, um, you know, as we're trying to help their kids, when they're, if they're in our, our booster clubs, we develop it when we're working with administration, with school boards. There are multiple uh, people in the community. There are multiple opportunities where, where we can develop our, our communication skills. And I'm sure that, you know, you talked to Scott Sheehan. I know that Scott talked to you about yep. con- connections and communications. That's one of his you know, main things, which I, I love about him among many other things. So as a teacher, I think we're all, growing those skills. One of my jobs, I think, um, in my position now is to make sure that every single person who is uh, who wants to be a music educator, who are, who are, who is a music educator, understands that we count on their leadership. Um, and that leadership can be in the classroom. It can be in their community. I'm, and I'm, I'm going to keep moving uh, up the ladder here yep. to include more geography. It can be in their region, in their state, and finally, it could be in their division, Eastern, Northwestern, whatever, and then nationally. And what I would love for people to understand is that uh, we need as many good leaders as possible. And yep. everyone, every single person has the capacity for that. Similarly to the fact that every person, every human being has musical capacity. Mm. Every teacher has leadership capacity. I believe that firmly. Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, the leaders, you know, I, I lead a company and um, uh, when I when I made the jump from the classroom to the corporate world, mm-hmm. the CEO of Korg said to me, "Is don't you think it's weird that a middle school teacher, a middle, you know, m- middle school music teacher is going to lead a multi-million dollar company? And I basically said, well, have you ever been in a middle school band room? The fact <laughs> that I can keep a hundred kids on task with really loud noisemakers in their faces uh, means that I can lead a group of adults. And I said it jokingly. And about a month in, I realized, oh my God, these, you know, a team of salespeople is just the same as a team yes. of middle school kids, you know, in many, many, I, I know they'll all, I mean, my current employees, if they're listening to this, I love you guys, but, um, <laughs> you know, it is, it is interesting that the skill set required for just being a, a decent music teacher is all the skills you need to lead in many, many ways. And you just have to, and, and the other thing is, I, and I say this, uh, you know, for everybody that doesn't like bad words, I'll, 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 I'll bleep it out. But the, um, you know, I'm on team get blank done, right? I am, you know, <laughs> and most music teachers are, you know, you have to be that way in order right. to have a successful music program. And I think most leaders who get it done are the mm-hmm. successful. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I'm not listen- surprised at all that you're in the position you're in. 
Yeah, well, thank you for that. And and I, I couldn't agree more with you, Jim. I, I, and, and that actually, like, let me turn that around too. I, I actually teach a course in leadership and uh, I fill our time, not just with class time and readings, but also video. And uh, you would not be surprised to know that there, there's a ton of video that comes from the corporate world that focuses on how music teachers are good leaders and we should look to music teachers oh, wow. to develop leadership skills. So it, it sort of slices both ways. And I'll just say one more thing about your last point about getting it done. And I'm in that I'm in that same camp as well. Uh, it was just uh, over in Georgia at the GMEA, the Georgia Music Educators Conference. And uh, we were having, um, there was a session, uh, which was this, was, was this the collegiates? Um, yes, I think it was the collegiates. And uh, their, their, their Georgia uh, teacher of the year, who is a music educator, yes, was yeah. doing. She was doing a, a a session before my session, and she had the students. And there, I've got there was there were over hundred plus students in that room, and she had them doing some um, activities that required um, uh, uh, three by five cards and also post it notes. And so there were a couple of people in the back, and then she wanted to, that who were part of the GMEA, and then she wanted to, uh, those parts to be collected. And so who got up? I got up as well as the other people. Yep. And we just walked around the room and grabbed them. Why? Because that's what we do. Yeah, you know, absolutely. We're, we don't, yeah, we don't, we don't sit around, you know, you know, waiting for someone else. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. So I'm glad you said that. We are the doers. We are yep. the movers and shakers for yep. sure. All right. So uh, in the, in the, in the 10 minutes or so that we have remaining, I'd love yeah. to uh, um, kind of shift the focus over to technology. And I know yeah. that technology isn't your, you know, specialty by any means, but I'd love to know what your take is on what the role of it is in really a, a post pandemic, you know, yeah. everybody in the world had to use it. And I'm, you know, I'm sure everyone's sick of hearing about zoom and, and what they had to do in 2020 and 2021. But, you know, thinking, looking ahead, what do you think the role of technology is in a music program? Well, uh, I, I love that question, Jim. And, I, and I'm going to go back to something that you said in Germany, which, by the way, I've used and have given you attribution. Awesome. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, no, it's true. You talked about um, sort of the and I'll, I'll paraphrase it, the um, sort of the litany of, of, of technological um, uh, uh boons over the yep. over the decades right and so uh tvs came into schools and oh my goodness the teachers are going to be put out of business and yep. cds came into schools and oh a live musicians are going to be put out of business and computers and blah 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 all of those things right and all the way up to ai and i think that the point that you were making was this is to be embraced not to not to right. be fearful of but this is this is a tool and and taking a page out of your playbook i would i would so heartily agree that technology over the years um has has done more to increase the possibilities in music than it has done to uh push people away right. um we we seem to to be a, a profession not just music education but the music industry as a whole we seem to be a profession that after the initial shock of, oh, good Lord, here's another new innovation, uh, we, we then sort of get on, get on the stick and we use those things to do whatever we can with it to make our profession better. Right. Um, so so I'm, th I'm thinking in particular, I'm, and this is top of mind for me right now because I'm, I teach a course in this, uh, teaching students, uh, music students with special needs. I'm thinking about the technology that we use to enable students who uh, have difficulty holding an instrument to be able to participate through technology. Yep. Uh, I'm thinking about those who uh, who have uh, uh, who have a vision impairment uh, using Braille technology to be able mm. to em embrace the, the music thing. Uh, those who have um, who are deaf or hard of hearing technology to be able to bring music to those kids. And, uh, you know, and that's that's just, you know, the the you know, the focus on, on disability, right. the focus on um, using technology to grow our, the possibilities of what can be done. I mean, um, uh, I, and I'll, I'll call on my, uh, my dear uh, son-in-law, my son-in-law, uh, he works in the oil and gas industry by day and by night, he's an EDM artist. Oh, and that's so, that's right. Yeah. And so he's <laughs> using technology uh, to develop his, his creativity chops and he's sharing that with thousands and thousands of people through technology, and then once when he goes to the live venues, then he's sharing with thousands of people using the technology live on stage. And from my perspective, and I know that there are, I have colleagues who would disagree with me, and that's okay. We we would just agree to disagree. 
Um, that to me is truly music making. You know, yeah. it it doesn't have to be. Um, we don't have to be relegated just to the traditional instruments to be able to open our minds and hearts to uh, multiple ways of making music that includes technology is enormous. You know, my own journey uh, started out in the early 80s. Uh, I think an Apple, I got an Apple IIe and, uh, and then grew from there. I ended up using um, technology to help me write marching band shows. And um, I mean, you fill in the blank. It, it was, yep. oh, and, and um I was married to Bob Sheldon at the time. We're still really good friends. Uh, and, and Bob is, of course, a, a composer. Uh, and I would take his handwritten scores and use, using the very, very early versions of Finale, I would play them in on keyboard uh, for me to create a score. For me, that was a lesson in composition. Yeah. You know, And so how can we use um, all of those uh, those opportunities uh, for, for kids today? One of the things that does... Um, the, it doesn't trouble me, but it, it, it gives me pause is that we, we want to make sure that technology becomes um, uh, available and, and affordable because, of course, there are kids who, who can't afford technology. And that's yep. something that uh, the onus lies on us to be able to do that for all children. So I can yeah. go on and on. I know we're, 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 we we have a time limit here, but that's, no, I this, appreciate it. Um, and, and the one thing that uh, when I started music first, my, my main goal was to, was for affordability, accessibility mm -hmm. and assessment. Those were the yeah. three A's that I, that I came up with. And the, mm -hmm. the digital divide was front of mind for me because I taught in an, in my first district was in New Jersey. They called them J districts, which were the poorest. So I taught right. in Irvington, New Jersey, really tons of challenges, right, mm -hmm. right next to Newark. Mm -hmm. uh, inner city school and the kids were absolutely beautiful amazing kids with nothing mm -hmm. and then my second job i went to the richest district in new jersey right. uh, and these these kids had everything and they weren't all that beautiful <laughs> you know they're kids and i love and they're somebody's baby you know what i always had thought was if i could only bring the kids from irvington to saddle river what a dream gig that would be yeah and yeah. and and they've always those kids i still remember their names they've always stuck in my head like don't forget about us because you know technology often leaves them behind and so i'm very encouraged by all the web stuff that goes on and and the free things that are out there yes and um your comments about uh, students with disabilities and special needs is also front of mind for me. I'm a huge fan of uh, Dr. Alice Hamill mm -hmm. and Elise Sobel uh, at NYU and all of their work. And it's a, it's incredible what technology can do. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it really, you know, at the end of the day, and I know that's an overused phrase, but <laughs> it means a lot to me that every kid in a school has access to music education, mm -hmm. not just the ones that sing, play a violin or play a euphonium, but that every, like my brother and sister were not in the music program and they both mm -hmm. became professional musicians, you know, and that, that, that's where you go or actresses, actors. Um, but, uh, it's it's an interesting conundrum, and I just want to widen the yeah. tent as as broad as possible. And I think that I love that, Jim. I love that, and and I and I'm I'll do whatever I can to help you with that. I thoroughly appreciate yeah. that more than you know. <laughs> uh, I got time for two more quick questions. The first one is advice. Um, you know, NAFME has a lot of wonderful resources that are available on the website, but I just wondered if you had just some quick advice for teachers who are thinking of incorporating music tech into their programs? Maybe, you know, are there NAFME resources, webinars, places they can go to learn more? There are also, there are incredible resources on the NAFME website. And we, we have a learning academy that um, is just, just burgeoning with all kinds of information, not just about technology, but about all kinds of things. And so that would be sort of stop one because it's a, it's a member benefit for sure. Um, and the other thing I would say too, is from those webinars, um, you can, you meaning a member can pick out the people in the country who, for whom this is top of mind. And I would say, and I encourage this every, you know, whenever I speak uh, to groups that are, you know, MEA groups or, or NAPI groups or whatever, to, um, to reach out to those folks, you know, don't feel as though you're just a, uh, you know, a peon. You're you're a, an important person, and yeah. I know that the people who are doing these webinars would love to hear from you. So, so you know, send an email, introduce yourself, and start that conversation. The other thing I would say too is, um, I, I I would advise people to check out what's happening 
in their state MEA, because often there's some really good stuff happening right there in their own backyard. In addition to that, uh, check out other music educator associations across the country, because there are people, you know, if, if you're in New Jersey, for example, I know there's going to be some folks, say, in California who are doing great stuff. And to make those connections across this, you know, geographical divide, I think is, is great for lots of reasons, not the least of which is it helps to connect people. Yep. Um, the other thing I would say, too, and, and this is uh, this is I'll, the last thing I'll say, but not, certainly not the least, is people like you. You know, I mean, you you uh, for for music first and for all kinds of, of uh, other um, industries that are out there that are doing similar or, you know, parallel things. Yep. Uh, you know, you, I mean, you're you're an easy person to talk to. I know that um, there are especially people who don't have a whole lot of technology chops can come to somebody like you or you can point them to point them to people who can help them out. I mean, I, I think a lot of this, um, you know, when we think tech. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. When we think about technology, uh, some people may think that it's 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 unreachable, or right. uh, if, if I'm not a tech savvy, that it's over here somewhere. But what we're forgetting sometimes is that there are people behind those projects. There are human beings behind those projects. Mm -hmm. And like for you, you developed this company because there was a real human need. And I think that that's, um, for me, that's at the core of all this. So don't forget the humanity and all of it, uh, but to reach out, make connections and see what other people are doing. And then don't be afraid, to, again, to take a page out of their playbook. It's okay to imitate. It's so, you know, sort of like... Um, Sort of like jazz improvisation, yeah. you know. I I I want to imitate the best people, so I'm gonna you know I'm gonna listen to Charlie Parker licks, and I'm gonna have a few of those under my fingers. And I I don't want to be a Charlie Parker. There's no way I can be a Charlie Parker, but I can take a few of those ideas that somebody else has created, and then use it for myself so that I can continue to to develop. Yeah, no, I I appreciate your kind words, and I know that the the next name I'm going to mention you know very well. In 1988. I went to the first NJEA conference. I was a freshman at Montclair State, mm -hmm. and I saw the uh, beloved Dr. Tom Rudolph um, mm -hmm. uh, presenting Band in a Box, and he was like this frenetic ball of energy that was so <laughs> excited about what this could do for you know music teachers. And just like you, when you saw the marching band, I saw Tom presenting and I was immediately transfixed on him. I'm just like, oh my God. And at the end, and I encourage people to do this, but maybe not the way I did it, because I'm a bit of a bull in a china shop. <laughs> I walked up to him right afterwards and I said, How do I be you? I didn't even I didn't even introduce myself. <laughs> I just said, How do I be you? I know it's not even grammatically correct. And he laughed. We became really, really good friends. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I think like Take somebody like a Dr. Tim, a Dr. Deb, a Dr. Uh, you know, Boonshaw, whoever it is, you're right. These people, if you just walk up to them and say hello, and 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 you don't have to compliment them, but you just have to say hello, right. uh, you find that they're human beings and they're more than willing to help. Uh, That's exactly right. Yeah. The, you know, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. The, the reason I left teaching, uh, which was a big decision to make. I mean, I still teach. Now I'm teaching undergraduate students, which is a real hoot. Um, but the reason I left was because I, I wanted to help more music teachers and I, and I, it wasn't to make more money. Truly. It was, I thought that I could have a bigger reach and help more people if I got out of my middle school classroom and it turned out to be true. And there are days I wish I could go right back to that middle school classroom because it's, it's not all roses on, on this side of the fence, but uh, your point is very well taken, uh, Deb. And, and I hope everyone who listens, uh, to this podcast, uh, takes note of that. Okay. I, you know, I'm, 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 you're absolutely right, Jim, and, and I'm so glad you mentioned Tom. Uh, uh, and you and I talked a little bit about this in Germany. Uh, I took one my very first graduate class uh, when I was trying to figure out whether or not I wanted to go back to school for music, which is which truly was a question at the time. Right. I went to uh, Temple and I took a course with Tom, and it was computers and music, and this yep. was just right just as the the Mac Macintoshes were coming yep. out. And, uh, and, and it was just fascinating to me. In fact, I, I remember um, we had a little, uh, he gave us a little homework. We had to do some coding. He, he had us actually doing coding. Yep. And, yep. and my coding, you know, I, I, I drew, quote, drew this picture of a rocket, which was, <laughs> I thought it was just fascinating. Uh, and it, you know, to, I guess to me, um, the idea of technology as uh, a tool really has been part of my life. Forever, yep. I can remember in 
uh, math class in junior high school, they took us to the community college where they had this huge, great big card reader, right? Remember the old Oh, card yeah, reader? absolutely. <laughs> and we we typed our cards in and it came out with, you know, the computer talked to me. Hi, yep. Debbie, how are you? And I thought, oh, my God, this was just absolutely mind-blowing, just, yep. just mind-blowing. Fast forward to undergraduate school, and this is a name you probably know. I remember as a freshman, they brought in Don Muro. Do you remember oh, Don Muro? Oh, of course. I've had, I, I love Don. We've had yeah. matches together. He's a fabulous human being. He's unbelievable. And I saw him do his thing with synthesizers my freshman year. This would have been 1976. Uh, it was it was mind-blowing. Yeah. So, you know... Uh, I, I guess I guess the, the the happy note for me is that I've been I've I've allowed my mind to stay open to all of that throughout my life. And so to be able to harness it, to use it for good in what we do as music teachers, music consumers, um, music uh, 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 studiers, I think all of that has to do with um, helping us to, to to get the most out of the experience. Yep. Right. Yep. I couldn't agree more. And I think that um, uh, I'd love to ask you more questions, Deb, but I'm looking at the time. I'll, I'll just ask this one real quick, and I hope people don't mind, but, uh, well, I'm sure they don't. Um, <laughs> you know, the, um, I for, of course, now I've forgotten the question, which is always what happens when you get older and uh, and you have a great question and you stop yourself. So I'll, I'll leave, oh, you know what it is? And, and and I know this could be a really long answer because it's just such a, a rich topic, but in the research world, there is this kind of stigma against music technology. Mm. Um, and it would be wonderful if that wasn't there. It's always been there. And it's just one of those things where I'm just like, man, you know, this is pretty good, but everyone just yeah. wants to go, no, no, no. Um, because, right. you know, often it's just obsolete. The research is obsolete or, or the technology that is being the center of the research is no longer there in 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I totally get it, but yeah. just wanted to put that out there. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Listen, I, let me just respond to that real quickly. One of the cool things about technology moving forward is we can go back in time to a lot of the research that we've been doing over decades yep. and we can use new technology to, to replicate those, those ideas ah. to see if our, our attitudes or our findings have changed. So uh, it's a way to help us to learn more about the human music experience. And it's not unlike um, technology and in, in things that are sort of life and death, like medicine, right? So right, right. Our, you know, 50 years ago, technology and medicine was very different. Same thing in, in music. So we can learn much more using the same processes that we did many years ago with um, technological uh, advancements, which I think is is fascinating. I thoroughly appreciate that. And I hope others are listening. That <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yes. Right, so my last question is always the toughest one, but I love asking it, which is the magic wand. And if you could wave a magic wand and suddenly music tech is able to do something it can't do now, what would it be? Yeah, this is a great question. I've given this a little bit of thought and um, I, I'm not as creative as you. But these are a couple of things I've been thinking about. Um, uh, you, I know you know this, and probably your listeners know this even better than I. There is there's technology that is available now that is being used to uh, to do 3D printing for uh, instruments um, that will provide mm. instruments at a very low cost to kids who don't have access. I, and my wish is for that technology to become even more ubiquitous, right? So that awesome. and and that's not to say that the, the craftsmanship of hand-tooled um, instruments should go away. I think they should sit side by side. So if we can bring down the cost of beginning instruments so that more kids can participate through technology, that would be wonderful. And the other thing I was thinking about has to do with, uh, and I this, this really was sparked by the conversation you and I had about AI, and that is, can we uh, combine our technology that 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 um, will bring. Oh, it's a tech. I'm just going to the, the word's going to escape me. Uh, the holograms, right? So yep. can we can we bring hologram technology together with AI information so that I can sit down with, say, for example, Beethoven, yep. and and have a conversation with Beethoven in my classroom, right? Uh, about his compositions and and what led him to this and his life and those kinds of things. And and along the same lines. Um, bringing in the idea of virtual reality, can we, can we, can we um, have our, our music rooms become VR theaters where if I want to teach about um, 
uh, say, for example, uh, uh, Balinese gamelan, right? Yep. Can I bring a gamelan ensemble in Bali to my classroom virtually and 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 have that be a virtual experience with my students? So those are just a few things I'm thinking about. I, I Like I said, I'm not as creative as you, but I think that stuff would be just way cool. Well, Deb, I will tell you something, and I'm not going to tip my hat too far. Okay. The first thing you said will be available in about a year. We're uh, we're working on that right now. It's very simple to do. It's just a lot of work because uh, we want to make the illustrations look nice and all that. Nice. Uh, so that's definitely on the horizon. And the that's second awesome. thing, the second thing you're saying is also not by us, um, but it will be. Um, you know, as these Apple, you know. They look like ski goggles as as right. the kind of yes. VR world gets further down the road. I'm sure that exactly what you're saying will, I mean, how cool would that be? You know, That'd be awesome. yeah. you, you know, we'll all look like, uh, you know, we'll all look a little strange, but, um, you know, the, those VR goggles are pretty funny looking, but yeah. um, man, it'll be interesting. Uh, Deb, you are, first of all, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I, I absolutely, uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're like best friends who never knew each other. So it's really, really <laughs> nice uh, to chat with you. And, and and thank you so much for doing the podcast. And I wish you all the best. And I hope to see you uh, at a conference soon. And 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 good luck at, at, in your tenure as a NAFME president a couple months away. Thank you, Jim. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. You're, you're just the best. And uh, I hope that, uh, you know, Music First continues to thrive, and, and which I'm sure it will. And uh, I hope that uh, I can I can be around long enough to see all the good stuff that you guys are, will continue to do. Early. Thanks again for having me. Yeah. You're the best, Deb. Thank you so much. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Jim. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.